on the Empire Podcast this week, we're riding around the pod booth on bicycles with a string of garlic around our necks. No, we're not trying to make vampires dizzy. We've gone all French as both Marianne Cotillard and Luc Besson drop in for a chat. All that plus usual movie news and nonsense, and we say goodbye to a bona fide Empire legend on the only movie podcast that hasn't yet tipped a bucket of ice water over its head. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE. Okay, this pod is recorded one day earlier than usual this week for a very good reason. As usual, I'm joined by Helen O'Hara, Geek Queen. Salut. Uh, Ali Plum, Film Fact Sponge. Bonjour. They both say hello. That was in French, in case you didn't get it. But for only the second time in the history of the pod, we're joined by the editor of Empire, Mr. Mark Dinning. Hello. Pour aller à la piscine. Oh, my God. It's the only French I know. Très bien. Mange tout. Encore une fois. What auspicious occasion could have triggered this rare sighting of Dinning in the wild? Well, he's only buggering off to pastures new. So we thought we'd have him in to say farewell and or tip a bucket of ice water over his head. Welcome. Thank you very much. Eight years? Eight years, yeah. First cover was Casino Royale. Holy cow. I know, amazing. And you're taking full credit for that movie success? Yeah, I mean, I think really Daniel Craig kind of owes it all to me. It's funny, he he, he won't acknowledge that, but yeah. No, I mean, (laughs) I'm really proud. And that was an amazing, what an amazing first cover. So, and really interesting at the time, you know, everyone's going, oh, he'll never work. Craig will never be a good Bond, and of course now... They were saying the same about you as well. I know, I know. (laughs) That's a miracle I'm still here. It's too blonde to be an editor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Previous editors of Empire have been either bald or black-haired. Honestly, what's going on? Um, In a break of tradition, because this is Mark's final week, your final hours as uh, Empire editor. I go on Friday, so yeah. Bloody hell. Uh, This is his farewell appearance in the pod as well, so all the questions this week are for him. Uh, we put the hashtag AskDinning up yesterday and oh didn't, it wasn't abused as much as I was expecting. As Honestly, as I was, it was hoping. It was actually okay. First question then. Here's the first question. And this is very, very simple. From the at the Soverlord. Why are you leaving, you traitorous bastard? <laughs> well, I yeah. Well, I'm off to Dubai. So, um, I'm See off. See you then. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See you later. Uh, yeah, no, it's been, it's, I am. I'm moving to Dubai. I'm going to go and edit Time Out Dubai be not allowed to say other brands on the empire podcast but i just did <laughs> an amazing magazine but no yeah it's just it's been eight years it has been amazing but yeah it just felt like time to do something new it's so i could take your place isn't it mark yeah exactly thank you it's whoever gives me the biggest bung really i keep waiting no, no one's i, giving me I have been collecting advice. some very large bungs so i will give you one <laughs> my word there's one question here which i'm particularly interested in, in hearing yeah. the answer to this is from a guy called at revolutionary what Empire cover from his era, that's that's you, would you frame and hang on your wall? Which cover? Would it would it be possibly Casino Royale? Yeah, there'd have to be a few, actually, I think. I mean, I'll, I will miss some, but my... Um, you know, I'll forget some, but my favourite covers would be definitely Casino Royale, definitely uh, the Joker cover. That was an amazing kind of uh, coup to get that. Um, but I take full credit for, even though I probably shouldn't. But no, very proud mm-hmm. of that one. The Hobbit Lenticulars was a fine moment. Um, Catwoman, just wow, wow. I remember Simon <laughs> Pegg, I think, tweeted something about it. It makes me feel funny in my tummy. I shared that sentiment. Just to be clear, can we clarify which Catwoman? It was the Hathaway Catwoman. Okay, good. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we've done some crazy things. We never went we never went very crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so, so many of them. But they'd kind of off the top of my head be, be my favourites, I think. 
Um, I've got a question here from at Cat Brown 82, formerly of this parish. Um, I would absolutely love to hear his favourite scandalous story, anonymous if necessary. Now, I know you're a, you're a fan and a purveyor of scandalous stories, so this seemed like one for you. Oh, God. <laughs> um, scandalous story. I don't know, there have been loads, really. I'm not trying to think. I'm not sure that this is necessarily scandalous. I remember I really enjoyed, I loved meeting Gwyneth Paltrow. She, I remember she came to an Empire Awards and she kind of, you know... And I wondered what she'd be like. I thought, is she going to be hard work? Is it going to be difficult? And I remember we had a few drinks, Jameson's, of course, and we had we had a few drinks at the bar, and I walked to the side of the stage. I remember Armando Iannucci was on stage accepting his award, and he was really he was giving this really swear-word-filled swear uh, speech. And she kind of turned to me and went, oh, my, you know, is that... Is that okay? Is that accepted here? And I said, Oh no, here, here, that's encouraged. And she got on the stage and did this very lovey speech she'd written to present to Jude Law. And then just in the middle of it, just went, Of course, he's a motherfucker. And then kept going <laughs> with this amazing speech. And then she got off the stage and I walked her out through the kitchens. I said, Thanks so much for doing that. You know, I know how busy you are. And she went, No, no, my pleasure. And she said, Well, I hope you know, hope you notice I threw in a motherfucker for you. And gave, me, <laughs> and gave me a kiss and got in the car. I was like, Wow, that's amazing. But no, I'm not, I'll think of more scandalous. I mean, getting very drunk with Richard Harris was amazing and what a privilege. And I, I was really, I don't, I think I was um, staff writer at that point and no one else could interview Richard Harris. And I sort of, literally, no one else had the time to get out of the office. And I said, I'll go and do it. And I didn't interview him, I just told him facts about himself because I, I was so nervous. I went, you left Limerick when you were 15 with 21p in your pocket. And he went, yes, I did. And it was the worst <laughs> interview ever. And a load of questions like that. And in the end, he just took pity on me and said, come on, let's go and get drunk. And we went to the bars, both bars in the Savoy, then out to the coal hole and just spent an afternoon getting hammered. And I remember some woman from the mail came storming in and went, you were my three o'clock interview. And he went, oh, piss off. I'm having a drink with Mark here. So yeah, it's been, there's been loads of kind of drunken mishaps I'll think of more are you uh, are you willing to share the Russell Crowe story on air oh the Crow. oh yeah well well the Crow one actually was um, that was all down to Richard Harris so I'd um, so I'd got drunk with Richard Harris and this would probably be I don't know four months before and I went back to the Savoy to interview Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind and as I got in uh, the lift doors opened as I was going up to the suite and it was Richard Harris and he went oh my god it's you again uh, and he said, and we got chatting. He said, "What are you here for?" And I said, oh, "I'm here to interview Russell Crowe." And he said, "Oh my God, I haven't, I haven't seen Russell since Gladiator. Let me go up with you." So, he, so me and Richard Harris went up to the suite together, and um, and so Richard Harris introduced me to Russell Crowe and said, "Oh, this is Mark. He's great. Go and you know get drunk with Mark. It's loads of fun." And we did then go and get drunk me and Russell Crowe, and it was this incredibly kind of provocative, hilarious interview that we did, and then and then it kind of. Then he decided he'd said too much and all this. So I had to go and interview him again in Paris. And I remember I went to I went into the hotel suite in Paris and and he sort of went, "Oh, it's you again," and said and just said, "I can't. I'm not speaking to you anymore." And stormed out of the hotel suite. <laughs> and they came back about ten seconds later and went, "It's my fucking hotel suite. You get out." <laughs> so I had to get out. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a yeah. But he he's I actually really like him, and he came a few years after all. And there was a big falling out, and he was oh you're an asshole. But he actually came to the Empire Awards a few years after that, and I've always been a big fan of him as an actor, and also just a big fan of him. He just sort of says what he thinks. There's no kind of messing around with him. So yeah, still a big fan. Amazing. He will be delighted to know, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Here's a question from at Gary underscore Bainbridge, Gary Bainbridge, who says, what's the minimum acceptable length of time between featuring a movie on the cover and admitting it's pants? The minimum? Yeah. 
I t- yeah, I don't know. God, that's a sort of a tricky one. There's no, there's no formula for that. It's just something we've practiced many times over the years. It's kind of really weird. I mean, I, I always, um, this sounds really naff, and it, and it was a Colin Kennedyism, so it was quite naff. Now, I was actually out with Colin last night, which is why I have a massive hangover. Colin was the <laughs> um, previous editor of Empire to me, and he always came up with this thing that on Empire every day is Christmas Eve. So the, the idea being that you have a Christmas tree in the corner and under it a load of unwrapped presents. And until those presents are unwrapped, they hold all this promise. They could be amazing things. And he always said, you know, the truth is you open some of them, they're rubbish, they're a pair of socks. You open some, they're an iPad. It's amazing. So I always kind of approach things in that way. So the movies are these unopened things. And, and until such time as you see them and they are rubbish, they could be great. And I think that's a... Yeah, that's something I've always kind of very deliberately done. And there have been some we've put on the cover that have been awful, but not many. I'm not sure. I, I, yeah. <laughs> People will now email in and go, well, I think you're fine, blah, 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 blah. But no, I don't think I've ever... I've, in fact, I would certainly say I've never put something on the cover I knew would be rubbish. You've done close to 100 issues. 94. Longest serving Empire editor in history. Correct. I'm by, actually by... only 21. I just look forward to it. Um, <laughs> by how long? Who's the previous longest servant? Was it uh, Barry McElhenney or was it... Uh... Barry did about 50, I think. Mm. Phil probably did about 30. Colin did a lot because Colin was editor and then disappeared and then came back again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And there, and there were kind of a lot of things, you know, I got offered this new job and, you know, and, and it was two good opportunities to turn down. I did want to get to 100 and I kind of, you know, I feel like a, a bit like a sort of, Cricketer, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, nervous nineties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's a shame. There's also big stuff like you know to be going. In many ways, it's insane to be going when I'm going with Star Wars coming up, Avengers, Bond, all these kind of things. Star Wars in particular for me, that's a you know I was desperately kind of trying to be the one who would get on the set of that movie, and now I'm kind of just stepping down, and I'll regret that. But but equally, it'll be kind of interesting to just watch it as a fan. You know, as opposed to knowing all the ins and outs of it and all that kind of stuff. So it'd be interesting. But yeah, I I leave with regrets, but not not many. At HF MacGyver asks, which issue was the biggest headache to get together and why? Definitely the Spielberg one, but the, but the most brilliant headache. I mean, that was just absolutely incredible. So we, we pitched that to Spielberg. Would he like to edit the twentieth birthday? And he miraculously, Ian Freer did that again. I take I take no credit. And and Spielberg came back and said, "Yes, I would." So we all flew out to the set of Tintin. Um, I'll never forget the sight of Daniel Craig in a wetsuit with sort of ping pong balls on his nuts. Uh, <laughs> and they and they sort of put us in this in this ante room, and said, and we'd had to come up with all of these ideas and stuff to for to run past the editor Spielberg. And and he came in through him, and I was petrified. I'd never met him before. And it, you know, my all-time hero and came in and, and he was just amazing. And he said, OK, give me the ideas. And we kind of gave him all these ideas. He liked some, he didn't like others. And we had this idea for a, a photo feature called When Harry Met Sally Again, where we would reunite famous couples from movies. Obviously, we never got Harry or Sally because I don't think Harry and Sally like each other very much anymore. Um, but it, but we, so, and we, and he said, well, like who? And, and I said, well... So we try and get Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins together to recreate Silence of the Lambs. And he said, oh, yeah, great. And he said to his assistant, can you get Tony and Jodie on the phone? And I didn't really notice. And then I was talking about it. And I said, oh, we'll get Tom Cruise to do this. And in that space of time, she said, I've got Jodie. What do you want? And and he, he said, tell her this idea. And she went, and she went yeah, Jodie's in. And then started dialing again. I went, Tony's in. And it just got ridiculous. So I started taking the piss. I went, Jack Nicholson, Clint Eastwood. And he said, I remember he said yes to... 
to all of them apart from Jack Nicholson, he went, "Oh, Jack," he said, "You know, Jack's his own man, but we'll try." And Jack, and we did get Jack Nicholson in the end, even did, though yeah. he he threw the Empire crew out of his house for the first time of asking. They all kind of went in, and and the assistants had come into his living room, and they were kind of moving stuff. And she said, "Oh, don't touch that," and pointed to this vase, and she went, "I think that's a Ming." And then she went, don't touch that. I think it's a Picasso. And it's this Picasso that was literally just propped up on the wall like you might have an Ikea painting. Yeah, it was like, ridiculous. And Nicholson came in and yeah. said, who are you cocksuckers and what are you doing in my house? And threw them all out. Didn't he also say they were moving stuff around? He came in and went, careful with the Ming guys. And it was just like everyone just shat themselves. In. <laughs> to be fair, I, did, I got to meet Spielberg, but then I didn't get to do any of it. And we went to <laughs> South Africa for Clint Eastwood. We went to, I mean, all, all over the world. Yeah. And I just stayed in the office and got shouted at by the publisher. The costs were just... Re- Steven Spielberg doesn't understand the, a magazine's budget. He understands many things, but these costs were just going through the roof. And I just sat here getting emails from everyone going, well, I'll just hang out with Arnie, and then getting shouted at by the publisher. But that, I mean, that issue's... I'm you know, so proud of that issue, even though we all ed- only edit- edited it by proxy next to Spielberg. But yeah, amazing. Mm. But a, a ball lake. An amazing question with an amazing answer. I'm slack-jawed, but it means the next one I'm going to ask you is going to be extra crap. This is from Joe Cunningham, 14, currently of this parish. Yeah. He asks, who is your favourite Decemelin? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like either of them. They're both a pain in the arse. <laughs> okay, a slightly, slightly more positive note now. At Phil Purseglove asks, which franchise holds the most hope for the future? Um, the Empire franchise. Absolutely, the Empire franchise. I mean, I think Star Wars. I, I, I love what they're doing with that. I, I'm, you know, always been a big fan of J.J. Abrams. He's obviously doing, obviously doing Episode Seven, but then I just think it's really interesting that, you know, the directors that they're getting on board, Josh Trank, Ryan Johnson, Gareth Edwards. They're this a whole, you know, amazing new wave of, of talent that we, have been, you know, certainly in my time here, that we've been fortunate to see them all break through and kind yeah. of, and all, and all of those guys. We kind of at the time said. You, know, you in, in, immediately you sat up when you watched all of those kind of breakthrough movies. So I think the fact they're getting those kind of directors in, Kathy Kennedy's a genius. You know, and I think I just think you know, and John Williams and all all of these kind of. So it's an amazing mix of brand new talent and also all of the kind of the classic old guard cast and all those kind of people. So I'm hugely excited. I've always been an absolute Star Wars nut, and also I think you know the prequels. Let's face it, we all know that those movies weren't good. So it's kind of it's almost like the slate's been wiped clean. Actually, that there's the there's pressure to deliver, but it's not whatever they do is going to be better than the prequels. So it's, I, I think they've got kind of a lot of a lot of pressure, but also a lot of a lot of hope. A new hope. A new hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got another question here from at Don underscore Lyle, who asks: There was a nice Robin Williams interview recently that never made print. We published it on the uh, website after his death. Is there a lost arc fault somewhere of unpublished Empire stuff? There's not much actually. I deeply regret that. Robin Williams interview we never I read that on on the site and I remember we just that was just a timing issue we got it in and I can't remember the film didn't come out over here or it did and we missed it or something something or other and that interview just never ran and it was always sat there on I think Dan's machine with a one day we'll publish that because it's a really good interview as Mm. well but no I don't think there's there's much stuff probably yeah knocking around there's there's a few odd bits and bobs but no we've pretty much published everything we've got Um, so yeah it was just it's so unfortunate obviously with that whole what happened with Robin Williams and, and, and Dan I, th- I think somebody kind of just went oh hang, hang on we've got this amazing interview here so it was, re- it was great to finally publish it there's a few things I think still knocking around Are isn't there? it yeah 
couple of backstories and whatnot, but nothing, nothing major as far as I can remember. When you put up a, an ask someone uh, hashtag on Twitter, it usually gets abused with people asking lots of really, really daft questions. Only a couple got through. Here's one from at Anton Deck. <laughs> Who would Mark rather fight? Howard the Duck or Howard the Duck dressed as a horse? <laughs> well, obviously Howard the Duck dressed as a horse. I mean, there's <laughs> only one possible answer to that question. I think that's. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, M D Maloney at Mr M D Maloney asks, how difficult was it to review the reader the reader demand for a 15th anniversary special edition for Juice Bigelow? Very easy. <laughs> really, really very easy indeed. Although what, that movie does have its moments. What What review are you most proud of that you've written that you've gone, either I've slaughtered it or I've praised it or just had a really good turn of phrase that you go, if I reread that now, I'd actually be pretty pleased with it. Not many. I always hated reviewing movies. Actually, I. I I really like writing features. I'm not saying they're good, but I'm just saying I always enjoyed that process. I'm definitely not, you know, I'm way down the pecking order on, you know, people in, in Empire who are much, much better reviewers than me. It's why I haven't reviewed much. But I remember there was a lot of pressure on the Dark Knight review. I think we got that right, and that kind of was a... But, yeah, I mean, on, honestly, I can't remember. I mean, probably my first... I think the first review I ever wrote for Empire was of a porn movie because Empire used to re- <laughs> review porn movies, and um, yeah, they say I took it downhill. Honestly, did we? Yeah, yeah, when? yeah. In the back of the mag, it would have been, oh god, so. I think there were adverts, 99. but that wasn't necessarily. I, I called action to review them. I think they used no, to take upon yourself. No, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no. There was because way back when each of them had a. So they were called erotic thrillers or something. Oh, okay. So if you remember, Empire, used, five, to, Empire yeah. used to have these icons. So it'd be horror, and it'd be a little icon of a dagger, or comedy, and there'd be a, you know the laughing faces. And and for erotic thrillers, you had, trying, it's hard to describe it. You had pictures of two pairs of feet. So one was the pair of feet sticking up, and the other was the pair of feet sticking down. And I remember I was living at home with mum and dad at the time, and my mum came in. I was watching this porno. She went, what the hell are you doing? I said, Mum, I'm fucking working here. <laughs> it was it was amazing. And I can't, I can't remember. And I, I just, yeah. I think I ended that review with, it's a bit like Neighbours but with tits, which made sense at the time. But so I'm still kind of proud of that because that was the one that I did and it kind of got me starting writing for Empire. So The Dark Knight or whatever that grotty, <laughs> grotty thriller was. Didn't you uh, write your review of Road Trip and it was basically just a, a list of synonyms for breasts? Oh God, probably that sounds about me. It <laughs> yeah. does sound about me. <laughs> I remember I saw that in Edinburgh. Actually, I still love that movie as well, and I, and and will forever love Amy Smart as well because I sort of fell in love with that movie. But I thought that movie was loads of fun, mm. and yeah, I was up in Edinburgh with with Adam Smith, and we just yeah got very drunk and watched that movie, and yeah had loads of fun. All right, this 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 is this is not a reader question, uh, but any any regrets? Anything you go back and change? I gave Stand by Me four stars on. VHS once just to be a twat I think I don't know that was just moronic other things I'd change I wouldn't put The Golden Compass on the cover again and even if I if I did I certainly wouldn't call it the movie the cover line the, the movie that will change fantasy forever <laughs> I mean it kind of did <laughs> it's, it's, it's a you know, close to studio. I mean, million, yeah, millions of regrets. But I, I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Are you trying to get him to talk about Attack of the Clones, Chris? Is no. this what you're? Oh no, uh, no, yeah, no, that, that was that didn't my fault. I've, uh... I've admitted that in print. Actually. Yeah, yeah, that was that. That was me. I did that. Yeah, it didn't happen under your editorship, but that was your fault. You, yeah, you, that was absolutely. You hired me. Well, there's all of that. There's I mean, all yeah, of that. Absolutely. We didn't have time. This guy, I wouldn't go to Porn Island again. I'm not sure I told that story in Cannes, where I met a guy in a bar and he said, "Will you go to Porn Island?" Do, do, do you want to go to Porn Island tomorrow? And I said, yeah, amazing. And 
and it was it was this you went on a boat over to the one of the kind of the little islands outside Cannes and it was just for a it's a porno company to showcase their wares. And I remember there were these couples having sex all, all around the floor. And we were stood there. I remember vividly, it was this really hot day, a really crappy marquee, drinking warm champagne. Well, it wasn't champagne. Sparkling wine. I remember eating a scotch egg. And there was this tug on my trouser leg. True story, tug on my trouser leg. And I looked down and there was a guy and a girl spooning, having sex. And she was tugging on my trouser leg. And I said, are you okay? And she went... And he was really giving it the big performance. She was so bored and she went, do us a favour, can you pass me a bit of pizza? So I passed her a bit of pizza. <laughs> and he didn't notice. He was still going, she sat there munching this pizza. I wouldn't recommend Porn Island. That's another regret. Amazing. Uh, I think that's a good note in which to leave it. Um, it's been a pleasure. Well, uh, likewise. Yeah. Thank you very much. And it's a, a pleasure to come on the podcast again. Um, right. So thank you very much. I thank you very much to all the readers as well and listeners. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Mark Denny. Feels like an obit. (laughs) (laughs) So that is it. Mark is off. He is out of here. Cue the bagpipes music of my former editor. I can say only this. Of all the souls I've encountered on my travels, his was the most human. Chris, I've asked you not to quote Wrath of Khan in the podcast. Oh, was that a quote? That it makes me do. I was just kind of riffing. Our first guest this week is a man who knows his way around a cracking action scene and a striking image. He's the man behind the big blue, La Femme Nikita, Leon, or the professional to our US listeners, The Fifth Element, and more recently as a writer-producer, the Taken and Transporter series. You're welcome. He is, of course, the brilliant Luc Besson, and he's back this week with the US box office hit Lucy, in which Scarlett Johansson gets very smart, very fast. Phil and Nick, the brothers de Semlian, spoke to Monsieur Besson. Enjoy. We're genuinely very happy indeed to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Mr. Luc Besson. It's Monday morning. It's a sunny Monday in London. Um, our brain capacity, collectively, my brother and I, is, is about 2 or 3%. So please bear with us if our questions are a little inane. 3% each or together? Together. <laughs> together. <laughs> together. But by the end of the interview, we're going to be up towards... <laughs> five. <laughs> Maybe for we're aiming for we're lucky. five. We've got yeah. 20 minutes. Let's go. Don't, don't worry. I'm using one or two percent. <laughs> <laughs> the, the obvious place to start is with the box office figures for this film. It's been a really big hit in the US. Um, congratulations, of course. Thank you. What's your relationship with, with the box office? How, how do you find out? Do you, are you someone that kind of follows? You must follow it carefully, but do you celebrate? How do you celebrate? It, it's not so much the box office. It, you know, we make a film because we want the, the people to watch the film. <laughs> so... You know, when, when the people are are there and they come, you, you're just happy. Because the, the fear of a director is you spend two years to make a film that no one wants to see. There's two, two things in the film. There's the, the quality of a film and there's the desire of a film. Sometimes you have a great film, but the people doesn't have the desire to watch the film. And sometimes it's the opposite. You have a shitty film and everybody wants to see it. And sometimes you try to do a good film and people want to see it. And you just wait and you, you're hoping that people will be interested. So, uh, you know, when the film works in U.S., you're just, you know, you're happy. You're so happy. That's it. Well, well done on creating a new movie drug, which <laughs> doesn't exist, I presume, but uh, it kind of does in science in very small doses, but not in the way it is in the movie. But uh, I was curious, which is stronger, CPH4 or the drug that Gary Oldman takes in Leon? Maybe it's the same. <laughs> Might be. Wow. <laughs> no, the, the thing about the CPH4 is, um, first, it's a real molecule. It really exists. 
It's really made by women on the six weeks of pregnancy. And what's interests me, it's the fact it's not a drug. It's the nature, you know. It's because a, a villain wants to use that as a drug that it becomes interesting. It's like, you know, the, the, prin the principle of the atomic. Einstein doesn't want to design a bomb. You know, he, he wants to design something for everyone. And then some, some guys, you know, distort the thing and make a bomb with it. So it's, it's the same principle. I'm guessing a lot of people aren't expecting to see a dinosaur in this film based on the poster <laughs> in the, the first 20 minutes. But um, I'm curious, did you shoot the wildlife footage yourself, the stuff with the cheetahs, not the dinosaurs? No, no, no. No, the, the good thing is there's millions of uh, footages of, of animals were really well made. Uh, so we spent three months and a half to choose them. Uh, I have uh, four people working on just on that because I want to find the footage before the shooting because I want the I want the goons to work to walk the same way than the cheetah, you know. So. We, we we need the footage before to, the, the you, shooting. You could have had a, had a free safari on the studio. Could have gone to Africa and had a free holiday. Yeah, I'm not like this. No, I mean, the the, the guy the guy who make these uh, films, you know, uh, documentary, are so patient. You know, sometimes they 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 wait for two months to see the cheetah uh, walking, and I have to a film to deliver, so I <laughs> I can't take holidays. Have you met David Attenborough? The uh, wildlife documentary maker. No, no, no. Never. because of course you made one yourself, Atlantis, many years ago, um, and I just wondered if you had any sort of urge to go back and make another film in the sea, which is kind of your first passion, isn't it? No, no I, I'm very happy that I made this film ten years ago because I have this feeling that uh, we destroy our planet so much that uh, this film won't be possible. 10 years later and and I was right because I went back to a couple of places where it's destroyed you know so at least there we have a memory of of how it was before and it's funny because Atlantis there is only fish in the film there is no actors and it's probably the the film where I learned the more about acting from the fish <laughs> yeah because when you're a director and you try to convince a a manta ray to come from the from from the back and to come straight to you and turn to left and you have to explain that to 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 the manta ray it's very complicated <laughs> <laughs> right and you have to find all the tricks to make her understand that she should go from there and find a way to oblige her to turn on left at the end so it, it's a nightmare. Sometimes it takes me like 10 days to get the shot. The next film, you go on set and you have an actor who speaks English where you can explain what you want. It's so easy. So my relationship with actors were totally redefined after Atlantis because I feel be, before that I was a little scared about the actors. You know, you're like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to tell him and da, da, da. After Atlantis, it was like, okay, you go from there, you go there, da, da, da. It was much more simple. So Atlantis helped me a lot in my relationship with the actors. But there are some actors who, I mean, Gary Oldman, for instance, who, who like to sort of do their own thing and kind of bring their own ideas to it. 
are those relationships harder for you to kind of manage? No, not at all. You know, I mean, uh, working with a genius is, is always easier than working with, you know, someone who is not good. No. <laughs> so you're happy for the actor to bring ideas to the scene yeah, and yeah, to sure. do his own thing. What what I like is to bring ideas before uh when we rehearse. Uh when on the on the weekend when we <clears throat> when we work together, when we throw ideas. Uh, on the set for me it's not the good time for ideas. You know, on the set we just have to to shoot what we said. I'm not against a, a last minute ideas. I'm always taking it, but um it's better when you develop all the all the possibilities before that. With Scarlett Johansson, I'm curious, what did you guys talk about in relation to her performance as she gets more and more amped up on this drug? Did you explore different uh, possibilities of yeah, how she yeah. would behave? At the end, we, we, we were fearing to get lost, in fact. So on her um, apartment, we put a, a, big a, a big piece of paper, 10%, 20%, 30%, until 100%. And I filled up the paper. What can you do? What you can't do? What is your state of mind? Your relation with the others? So when she comes on the set, she knows that she has to shoot the scene where she's at 50. So like, like in a plane, you know, like when you do a checkup before to take off, mm -hmm. she was like checking, okay, 50%. I'm like this, this, I can do this and this and this. So when she arrived on the set, she's 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 charged you know she knows exactly what what to do and i'm glad we did that because otherwise her or me we will get lost i'm curious she's obviously in the avengers have you ever been offered a superhero movie because i can imagine you being offered a batman film or a superman film has that ever happened uh, a couple of years ago yeah not, not so much now because they they fed up with me they say you say no all the time so <laughs> they stop they can, stop asking can you say which one it was no no Okay. Are you, are you, no, because to to be honest, I was very flattered and and uh, I'm always very polite with these people, and mm. it, it's very kind of them to think about me. And uh, why did you say no? Because you 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 feel on this kind. Of, it, it's such a big franchise most of the time, and it belongs to the studio. And what they want is is a filmmaker, someone who make the film the way they want. And I'm an artist. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm an artist. I like to paint, you know. And uh, I, for example, we did the film with Universal, and my relation with them was extremely great because I I hear when they have things to say, but uh, on a normal level, you know, they 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 tell what they think, and we exchange, and they often write, you know, they they have good ideas, but uh, it's it's not a relationship to you know, I'm the boss, and you're doing what I'm what I'm saying. I've seen on films a kind of executive producer who are here not for the film, but to show their power, and 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 it, you know, things are. It's impossible to sleep under my door, a pink paper at midnight to tell me what I have to do next year, the day after. I won't. I won't accept that. So you just say no. You put it back under that door. No, I think they don't need me. In fact, they don't need me to do this kind of film. I mean, the, there's a couple of amazing directors who do these films, mm. and they know how to do it. And I'm good to do certain kind of films, so it's better that I, you know, I'm I'm European, I'm French. I I love the, I love the reggae, I love sushi, I love <laughs> cheeseburger, I love I love uh, scones. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a guy from the world. 
So maybe my vision is, is better on certain kind of film. You know, Lucy is a perfect film for me because it's a, you know, it's a chick from New York with a guy from Taipei and <laughs> yeah, international. Yeah, and a, an Egyptian who's playing a French cop. <laughs> well, we'll get you a scone after this. I want to know how you take, how you eat your scones now. Like clotted, I love scones, clotted cream and the sort of no butter. No? I have, well, a, I have a funny story about the Amr who, who played the cop because um, I knew his work and I want to work with him and, and I got his phone. And I call him and I say, Am, how are you? Oh, look, I'm very, I'm very happy to hear you. And uh, say, Am, where are you? Oh, I'm uh, in uh, Plastahar and uh, the guy was in the middle of the Plastahar making the revolution for his country when I got him on the phone. No. Yeah, no, I swear. And I said, but Tar, you think you, you can come to France to shoot the... Yes, give me a, a couple of days and I will try to. So when the guy arrived on the set, he was so happy because you know how we treat people. You always have a buffet. Someone drives you to the set. And he was like smiling. He was in holidays. <laughs> and when he finished the set, he went back to, to his uh, country to fight for his country. He was probably asking for reshoots, I imagine, <laughs> like staying there as long as possible. Can I help you with the edit? On the, on the subject of Star Wars, a lot of directors we're talking to have been popping onto the set in Pinewood. While you're here in London, are you going to slip over there and have a, have a look at what they're doing? No, no, I, I, I don't like that. No. I, I want to see the film. That's right. it. I don't <laughs> want to see anything. I don't want to see any pictures. I don't want to read anything. You know, like, don't, don't eat my pleasure. <laughs> I, I can't. I can, you know, they, there's a certain film that when you really wait for them, you don't even want to read anything. I don't want to know anything about Star Wars. I, I just like, I'm blind, I can't hear. I just want to sit down and, and, and try to find the pleasure I have when I was like 16 years old and I watched the, the first one when the first spaceship arrived on the screen and then everybody turned and said, you know, because the sound was coming from the back. <laughs> so, you know. Is there a movie you're counting down the days to, to until it comes out, something you're really looking forward to? Yeah, there's always a couple of films per year where you you want to, you know, you wait for it. We've got to wrap up in the not-too-distant future, unfortunately, but but um, just to talk quickly about uh, Leon, one of your beloved films. And I was just curious, it's a film that's been referenced by other filmmakers that have obviously wanted to homage it. One such film is Hot Fuzz, Edgar Wright's movie, in which the character has a pot plant that he carries around with him. Are you familiar? Have you seen it? Do you, yeah, are you yeah, aware of that? It. Yeah, it's funny. It's very, very British. <laughs> but it's nice it's good so you feel kind of a kinship with Edgar Wright and a bit sort of flattered that it's uh, no I'm, I'm I'm fine with that it's it's uh, it's funny you know there is no uh, the, the directors when we met each other we're always very uh, attracted by each other and, and very always smiling and polite because no one can do your film we all our films are unique. I, I, I can't do the film like another director. And he can't make the film like me. So it's, it's, a, it's a world by itself, one person. It's unique. So there's no competition, in fact. You know, like, like the, the, the newspaper, the, the, the press, the studios, they make competition between us. But when we met, we don't feel in competition. We, we just feel like, oh my God, how did you do this shot? You know, like, fucking hey, how you do that and this? And we are more like exchanging and, and 
making compliment to each other most of the time and it's it's very uh, we know how hard it is we know so when we met we we happy to you know we, we know the job mm-hmm. and um honestly I, from all the directors I, I met I have only friends mm-hmm. and uh so when when someone get inspired by a scene or by a shot or thing it's so it's it's nice it's it's sweet you know it's you, you don't feel like oh my god he's still from my film no 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 it's great come on do it fine <laughs> I wanted to ask, uh, because there's a, a sort of a phenomenon at the moment, there's a film called Sharknado, and the sequel has just come out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are uh, you aware of this? As a marine biology expert, what's your take <laughs> on, what's the Luke Besson take on Sharknado? Ah, uh, come on. No, no. no I, I, I'm happy for them, but come on. Have you seen it? I've seen a piece on, on TV. You know? Oh, you were emailed it, or uh, or you caught it on TV? No, no, I don't know. In, in a magazine, I've seen a piece of it. Is it the flying sharks and yes. that thing? Yeah, come on. You don't think it's going to happen, for real? <laughs> No, it's 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 a funny uh, B series, and that's it. You know, come on, let's be serious. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have to we have to let you go now. You need to get back to France. I know. Um, just maybe, could you leave us with one quote from uh, the language of the fifth element? Do you still remember any of the? Oh, I can tell you her name if you want. Yes, her real please name, do. Lilu. But it's Lilu Minai Le Katariba La Minachai Ekbat De Sabat. That's her real name. Luc Besson there. Time for the week's movie news now. Uh, So what has Hollywood got hidden up its sleeve this week? Well, one big story had to do with Bradley Cooper. Now, last week, the news broke that Shane Salerno, who's one of the writers on Avatar, or the upcoming Avatars... One of the co-writers of Armageddon, I believe. And one of the co-writers of Armageddon, had bought the rights to a series of books called um, about a character called Mac Bolan. Um, He's a guy from T-Rex. <laughs> he is Mac, not Mac. Mark. Very okay. important difference there. Um, so he's the kind of the centre of the Executioner series of books, originally written by Don Pendleton. Since then, sort of turned into a franchise. There have been over 600 of these books over the last 45-odd years, um, and uh, they're still going strong today uh, with spin-offs and all sorts. So it is, a, it is a wonder, it is a marvel that Hollywood has not made them before. However, there have been attempts in the past with the likes of Clint Eastwood, Sylvester Sloan and Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. Now it seems that the latest name to step up to the plate will be Bradley Cooper. He has a production company based at Warner Brothers with uh, Todd Phillips, who of course directed him in the Hangover movies, mm-hmm. and apparently they are planning to make this series of movies. Amazing. Now Shane Salerno certainly was talking about it being a gritty action series, not a sort of a comedy uh, series in the, in the way that maybe Starsky and Hutch was was planned, uh, mm-hmm. which is also, of course, a Todd Phillips film. So it would be a bit of a departure if, if Todd Phillips, as is being mooted, ends up directing. Well, of course, uh, The Hangover 3 dispensed with the comedy. And, uh, <laughs> and well, it, it did. I mean, it almost as a, a deliberate thing. It, 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 you know, the, the focus was more on, on sleazy action than it was uh, it's on true. And there, there has been a lot of action in, in his films. He can clearly handle that. So, um, I mean, if they can get the right tone for it. It's been a while since we had a new sort of straight action hero as opposed to sort of superheroes and mm-hmm. uh, sci-fi franchises. So there might be a gap in the market. I mean, Jack Reacher didn't really find it, but but maybe Mac Bolan can. And nor did Jack Mac. Ryan, I must say. That's Bolan. also true. I like my... Uh, this is weird. I like my Pulp Fiction. I like my my preposterous larger-than-life action heroes. I'd never heard of this character. No. There are 600 novels. This sounds like the sort of thing that you would go to your local library and amongst all the Louis Lemoore westerns and, and yeah. whatnot, there would be tons of these. Mac Bolan is such a great name. Mac Bolan. Um, 600 books. Yeah. 
And there's a website, isn't there, where we actually have they've printed the names of all the books so, they, they, so you can go and, and if you're a Mac Bowling completist and you go, oh, I haven't read number 559, you can go and check it out and then, and then buy it on Amazon or from Mac Bowling dealers over the world, <laughs> world over. Uh, some of these names are astonishing. They're incredible. My favourite, I have to say, is Hostile Proximity. <laughs> I, I, these are names that Stephen Seagal would turn down. These are actually, I mean, yeah, I mean, to be honest, what's interesting, if you go through the entire list, there are a lot of names which have been used for movies that have nothing to do with these books. Yep. Because they've basically just taken the most preposterously macho words and put them together um, to make the names of things. Renegade Agent, Bloodsport, yes. No Relation, Death Games, Shockwaves, Hammerhead Reef. That's you know? a good one. Crude Kill by Chet Cunningham. Uh Hollywood Hell Running Hot and it, it, it says here it doesn't even have an author it just says question mark it also um, has Terrible Tuesday which is a slightly, slightly underwhelming one yeah I mean to be honest it, this character has uh, he, he's a, the background is that he was a Green Beret in Vietnam originally now I, I imagine they'll update that rather than making this a period piece but he comes home to find that due to uh, loan sharks basically tormenting his father his father his his sister turned to prostitution to try and pay off his father's loans and his father then murder-suicided the sister himself and tried to kill the younger brother who ends up in hospital. Right. So Mac Boland decides to take revenge not only against the immediate loan sharks responsible... By forming a glam group. No... Still no, not Mark Bullen. Oh, like right, creating okay. a massive mechanical dinosaur. That would have been good, but no, he oh. just takes his turn in a war against the Mafia oh. and goes city by city wiping them out, which is why the thir- the first 30-some of these books mostly have the names of areas of the US where he goes to fight the mafia. Chicago payoff. There you go. Death load. That sounds like one I need to read right away. Parallel parking. You're making that up. I am a little bit. Tipex Overload. Is that a real book? I don't know. You can never tell. Ivory Wave. That's an actual book. Here's one here. Contactless Payment. Is that... Chris, is that real? You're also making that one up. I Tax think. rebate. <laughs> That's actually a character in one of the books. That's fantastic. That's Podcast fun. disappointment. That's so... God, he's so ahead of his time. Extreme Force. These are real These are real titles. Extreme Force. Maximum Impact. Hostile Action. Deadly Contest. Select Fire. Triburst. What the hell is a Triburst? Crisis Point. Prime Target. Hard Content. I need to read every single one of these books. We're going to do a separate podcast just on these names. It's going to <laughs> be Death great. Whisper. Asian Crucible by William Fieldhouse. Chill Effect. Warbird. Kill Radius. Astonishing. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board. Let's do it. This character has apparently survived two nuclear explosions, multiple stab wounds. <laughs> That's a lot of fridges. Several, several collapsing warehouse roofs. Yes. Um, and quite a few grenade blasts. So, you know, he's clearly a tough guy. When I think of all of that, I think of Bradley Cooper. <laughs> now, honestly, I'm excited about this. Uh, and if they do a via, instead of Vietnam and they do Afghanistan and he looks good in the A-team. Yep. With a gun. Absolutely. He's, he's playing an American sniper in American Sniper. <laughs> oh, he is, yes. I wondered who was going to be playing American Sniper. Good. It's Chris Kyle, I believe. Chris Kyle, that's right. And, uh, yeah, well, this is amazing. And yeah, the soundtrack's going to be amazing. 20th Century Boy, Children of the Revolution. Chris, still not Mark Boland. But keep trying to make that happen. That's the only two T-Rex songs I've put. <laughs> so we're exhausted. Uh, right, moving on. What, what else do we have? It, it better be better than Mark Boland. Although nothing will be. There's one name in the world, one real name in the world that's better than Mac Bolan. Really? And that's Bendley Clum Bumbly Fuddly Batch. <laughs> Disrespectful. Bendy Krang Hamdebomb. Benelin Cummerbund. Jib Jab Flip Flap. 
His name is Benedict Cumberbatch, and he has a face, mouth, nose, eyes, ears, voice, and general demeanour that makes women turn to a very cooey kind of mush. He is Sherlock, and he will also be another Khan. He's already played one Khan, spoilers, in... What? Not Wrath of Khan, but Star Trek, colon, comma, no, exclamation no point. No colon. Double just, dash. just runs on. Ampersand. Makes no sense. Mark Bolan. Into Darkness. He will now play Sheer Khan, the sheerest Khan of all the Khans. The purest form of Khan. Right. In, in, uh, in, in Jungle Book, this is the follow-on, obviously, from Wolverine, Jungle Book Origins. Right. As okay. directed by Andy Serkis, he will voice the character of Sheer Khan. As everyone knows, he is a very, very exciting tiger so this is the the second of the competing live action slash cgi augmented jungle book movies that's right the john other one, favreau is doing one right now yep with an all-star cast correct so all-star that it includes all the stars all the stars including bill murray and scarlett johansson and scarlett johansson and idris elba as khan indeed so it's khan versus khan, khan. so it's two really 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 good voices luther mm. versus sherlock facing off yeah Lufa! There's a film. Come you know, on, do a Lufa voice. They want it. Lufa, we're cancelling the apocalypse. How about that? Our jungle to you. <laughs> <laughs> Baloo, power to you. There it. are people, and I know you're not. If you're listening to this, you're probably not one of them. But there are people who really love it when Chris does the Lufa voice. So I'm just indulging you. Uh, yes, yeah, so Benedict Cumberbatch. I just want to justify how important this story is we put this up at the time of recording late last night it had within four hours four thousand facebook likes it's now in the morning afterwards 5.1 thousand facebook likes by the time you listen to this it's going to be eight billion Mm. some people and maybe i'm going out on a limb here really fancy i mean admire benedict cumberbatch yeah it's a it's a pure love it's a pure Mm. love uh it's pretty interesting though two competing Jungle Book movies one's directed by Andy Serkis so presumably when you say he's voicing Shere Khan he's also going to be getting on the ping pong balls and, and which he did obviously for, around. for Smaug 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 uh, it's very interesting isn't it I, I think th- it is very interesting it's very interesting that's a very good shout I'm glad mm. they're both attracting such great talent I, we love do, both people involved I wonder if Jungle Book Origins will keep being called Jungle Book Origins though I feel like it, first of all it's going to be a little bit confusing this one comes out a year after the uh, Favreau one on current release plans yes and and it does seem I don't know. I feel like they might have to get a slightly more... Um, I've got one. Yeah? Jungle Book preface. Yeah. I mean, Jungle maybe. Book opening leaf. Jungle Book introduction is what you're saying. Yes. Jungle Book cover. J- jungle, jungle... Title page. Jungle... Jungle, <laughs> jungle Book. ISBN number. ISBN number. <laughs> don't be silly. That goes on the back. That's correct. Um, 20% water students reduce sticker Jungle Book. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's very interesting. Do you think one leaves my fall by the wayside, or are both studios seem hell bent on happening? Both seem like they're going to go ahead. I just wonder if if somebody will have to make their name a little bit more unique, or make find some way to make it look very different. Yeah. Um, because I feel like otherwise people are going to go in expecting the two to kind of tie together. Could one do Perhaps it not. maybe as a cartoon? That would certainly provide the necessary um, distance. But wasn't there already a cartoon oh, recently? Yeah, maybe. Well, I think they should rename it so it is distinct as Jungle Book colon the one with Benedict Cumberbatch in it. <laughs> I think that would, that that would, would work. work. That would that sell. Would work. That would sell at least five point one thousand so uh, likes. First one should be called Jungle Book, the one with Idris Elba in it. Yep. And the second one, Jungle Book, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch. That's the one. It's interesting. I'm um, looking down this list here of uh, Mac Boland novels. Benedict Cumberbatch is actually four hundred and thirty-seven. Oh, great! Yeah. 
That's true. Because yeah, obviously in that world, uh, Benedict is a, is a verb. Uh, this is another new story I've got here. Ving Rames. I have some excellent names to say today. Ving Rames. Someone once told me it was Rames, but I don't believe that. Oh, no, it's Ving Rames returns, or will return, is returning for is Mission returning. Impossible 5. He will be with the Jones. gang. Oh. You know, well, no, he won't be pregnant. That's not going to be okay. the third act twist. Tom Cruise, Jeremy Renner, and the like. You may have seen Tom Cruise and his director, Chris McQuarrie, doing the ice buckety challenge where you gargle ice, apparently. I have no idea. And, yeah, that's 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 good. Ving Rhames is an awesome guy. It's good to have him as the little mascot. No offence. He's a little mascotty by this point. Uh, in, he's a big mascot. He's a hella big one, but relatively small. Hopefully, I'm hoping that Michelle Moynihan will be back as Ethan's wife um, because she's wonderful. Me Mrs. Too. Ethan. It was interesting in that Ice Bucket Challenge. Now, when, when we were looking into that story, they said that filming was due to start this month in Vienna and then come to London. The Ice Bucket Challenge, it very much looked like they were already on the back lot at maybe, Pinewood. Maybe they're doing lots of rehearsals. That would make a certain mm-hmm. amount of sense. He likes um, doing physical action. Maybe he's just making sure he's... He's stretching. He's stretching himself. He's stretching for a month. Sense. Probably Let's, doing donuts in his motorbike. Round and round and round. Let's talk about this ice bucket challenge thing. No. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it'll probably have petered out. I think I, you never know, because everyone's challenging everyone else in Hollywood. Um, it'll have melted away. I, I, you know, it's an admirable thing for charity. It's quite fun. What's your favourite? I love the Dave Grohl one. Now, yeah. I know he's not a film figure necessarily, but he did riff on Carrie spectacularly well. Mm. Um, so I thought his was, was pretty spectacular. He's also in uh, Muppets. He, he is. Also, uh, he, he's, he's also directed a film. Oh, no. Let's not forget, honestly, guys. Uh, yeah, big fan of Foo Fighters, so I thought that one was hilarious. In fact, that's the best one. Uh, but I do quite like uh, the fact that everyone is so game and so willing. Uh, you see, you got, for example... I liked the, the Tom Cruise, Chris McQuarrie one. Yeah, it was Where fine. they were just having bucket after bucket after bucket dumped upon them, which was great fun. Uh, Tom Hiddleston. Oh, you God, get the sense he, You get the sense he's uh, in some oh. way playing up to his, his fan base no. by doing it in a tight, white, abs-revealing T-shirt. I don't believe this. Our love for him is pure. There was, there was, yeah, there was something... You just... you that You're just... You're showbody now. <gasps> you're playing... You're, what? When's uh, Bendy Cumber going to do it well, he hasn't done it yet has he he should have because he only had 24 hours after Hiddleston challenged him tops off tops Absolutely. off uh, Lady Gaga did a really good one where she poured Lady Gaga uh, yeah Lady Gaga <laughs> Lady Gaga Lady Gaga she uh, she poured ice in her head and, and didn't react in any way whatsoever and just continued to look Re- cool and strike a pose really good poker face absolutely poker face yeah good one well that's that done no, we haven't. We uh, haven't no, done. Just one other thing. No, I mean the ice. The ice challenge. The ice challenge yeah. is done. Shall I mention we that? haven't. Uh, fuck it. We haven't. We haven't. Johnny Depp thing now. We haven't. We haven't done an ice challenge thing, have we? Uh, I think I would remember. I'm pretty sure I'd remember. I feel like it's something that mostly boys do. I, I should probably leave it to you guys. This kind of sexism will not stand. <laughs> I will wear a tight white T-shirt that will cling to every ab. How many is that? I have four abs. Wow! I have to bring one. From ever home. since I ever since I realised that Scott Adkins listens to the podcast, I've really needed to up my game in case, he, like Kato, like he suddenly attacks me in the middle of the street. And I need to fend him off. I saw you buying abs on Amazon. <laughs> I did. I bought a bunch. Thank they haven't you. arrived yet, though. Twenty-eight days to deliver. Well, so. we look forward to that. Then not, that'll be fun. That not will be I will get my abs out on the pod. Is that a threat or a promise? Let's do another news story. Yes, um, I have one involving Johnny Depp. Um, now he has uh, six abs. 
yeah, at least I'd say. Um, he has an as yet unreleased appearance in uh, Kevin Smith's upcoming new film Tusk. Oh, really? A very short one, but he is in there. And he is now signed on to appear in Kevin Smith's follow-up film. It will apparently be part of a, a sort of a trilogy, um, which is called Yoga Hosers. And it is the story of two 15-year-old girls who are played by Depp's daughter, Lily Rose, and Smith's daughter, Harley Quinn. Yes, as in the Batman villainess. And they work uh, in a convenience store called A to Z. A spelled E-H, because Canadians say A at the end of sentences, eh? Mm, (laughs) Anyway. And uh, ancient evil arises from the ground and they have to fight it. But they do so with with the help of a hunter called Guy Lapointe, or Guy Lapointe, I suppose, because it's, you know, possibly Canadian. Um, and that's played by Depp. Uh, so he's going to be helping them fight this monster with the help of their yoga lessons. I think it's safe to say that Kevin Smith is really plumbing the depths right now. I mean, listen, maybe this will be a massive return to form and kind of awesome. We haven't seen yoga used as a weapon before. As I understand yoga, that kind of goes against the entire ethos of it. But maybe that's what makes it so powerful against evil. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair argument hang on and, um, is everything you just said true because i just had a weird moment where i thought that's the biggest load of bollocks i've ever heard is that all actually true i did check and it's not april 1st no it, it's it's true it's a it's a real film that's about to happen as is tusk tusks uh, about to play at the toronto film festival mm-hmm. in the midnight Manda strand i think so uh, you never know it could be it could be uh it could be good it's bonkers enough to maybe just might work the story uh, of tusk. i love i love johnny depp at the moment he's just he, he doesn't give a shit he's just doing whatever it is that he wants to do he is the honey badger he uh, he very much is. Is that another Mac Bullen book? Probably. Yeah. I think um, Johnny Depp is another title. I I I just I just I don't understand. Yoga hoses. I'll have two tickets for yoga hoses. Sounds a bit rude. I don't. I'll wait to see it. Or maybe like a maybe like a slang term for the sort of the capri pants you wear when you're doing yoga. Possibly. And just to point out, by the way, Tusk, in case you'd forgotten, is about a man who on Craigslist said. Does anybody want to turn into a walrus for me, and I will perform deviant acts upon you and it? Yes, that's that's the horror movie slash not a horror movie. Who knows what you call it? Movie that is called Tusk, um, and it's nothing to do with Fleetwood Mac. Indeed, indeed, or T Rex. By the way, one hundred and sixty-seven double action. One hundred and sixty-seven double action. I think there should be a bingo game where it's just using <laughs> slang that are the titles for the numbered <laughs> versions of the books. Um, indeed. Before we move on to the, the, uh, the next interview, I just want to point out that London has fallen. Uh, it hasn't. It's still standing. But it's it's moving on. It's moving. It's gathering momentum. Uh, Frederick Bond is going to direct London Has Fallen, replacing Antoine Fuqua, who of course directed Olympus Has Fallen. I've got a feeling this movie is going to be spectacularly um, average. Yeah, it could be a great guilty pleasure. It could be. Yeah, I'm hoping for that. To be honest, I'm, I hope I'm not Jerry hoping B- for art. I'm hoping for guilt. I hope Jerry Butler's character comes to London and stops doing that American accent and just starts speaking in his normal form. He was doing an American. Accent. <laughs> he was doing. <laughs> I think the only time he was is when he picked up a bust of Lincoln and slammed it in someone's forehead. That's when suddenly the American accent came out. Oh, bless him! All right, now we've. Put paid to any hopes of getting Jerry Butler in the podcast. Let's have another guest, shall we? Uh, Marion Cotillard is acting royalty, the finest French export, the side of René from a low low, although I reasonably believe that that guy may not have been French at all. Uh, the Oscar-winning star of La Fille en Rose has carved out a lovely... Co- How do I always do that when I'm saying something French? So, this is why Rose. I'm failing a Duolingo. 
The Oscar-winning star of the Fionn Rose has carved out a lovely career switching between Hollywood fare like Inception and The Dark Knight Rises and smaller homegrown stuff like Shaco Diard's Rust and Bone. And this week's offering, Two Days, One Night, in which he teams up with Belgium's finest duo since Tintin and Snowy, the Dardenne brothers. Uh, Phil, lover of subtitled fare, as you might expect, went along to speak to her. He insisted on subtitling this podcast interview. Marion yeah. Cotillard, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very Hello. Much for, for taking the time to chat. Last night, you were at the premiere of uh, Two Days and One Night, your yes. new movie at Somerset House. How was that? That was wonderful. I mean, the place is amazing. Are you I, a fan of the outdoor cinema experience? I do. I do. I think it's uh, it's something very different. And it's when, you know, you, you realize cinema can be watched anywhere. Yeah. How do you feel about watching your... Are you an actor that, that struggles to watch yourself on screen, that kind of finds um, that you nitpick your performance, or can you just kind of sit back in? Well, yes, I do, but I need to see. So usually I see my films uh, twice, if it's good, <laughs> and just one time if it's not. <laughs> I don't need the pain twice, but yeah, yeah, I need to, I need to see the result. To learn from experience or yeah you know you never know if it's gonna if what you do is gonna work I mean you have a an idea but sometimes you think you're into it and the result is a disaster Uh, and sometimes you take risks um, with accents for example which is uh, usually the risks I take (laughs) Um, so I just need to yeah and 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 I respect the 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 directors um, I work with, and I don't know if I was a director and I would direct an actor and he wouldn't want to see the movie. I don't know if I would be very pleased. <laughs> um, so that's a good point. Yeah, but first of all, I I, I yeah I want to I want to check. <laughs> so if you've seen the film and it's one of those ones where you were like. Didn't, something didn't quite work for you and then you face the director afterwards do you have a special face that you put on of like yeah <laughs> I'm happy oh uh, well that's tricky <laughs> <laughs> usually when I see the movie only once I kind of avoid <laughs> the director <laughs> fair enough but yeah well yeah well it's a marvellous film it really is and, and you're you. fantastic in it Thank and I guess talking about the accent thing you play Sandra who who is a character who's put in this extraordinarily unfair and painful position um, who has to go and petition her own colleagues to get to keep her job and ask them to sacrifice something mm-hmm. huge in, in the process. She's a Belgian character and obviously you're not yeah. Belgian. Is, were you doing an accent in this film? It's kind of hard for us to tell as English viewers. Oh well, yes, I do. It's, it's, it's a slight accent, but one of the first things uh, the Darden brothers uh, asked me was to lose my French Parisian accent and I was like, okay, well, if I lose it, I have to replace it with something. And Sandra comes from this uh, town in Belgium, and her husband has an accent, and her kids has accents, and all her friends. Uh, so we had a month of rehearsal, and I studied uh, all the people that uh, I was uh, surrounded with by, and... Um, um, and I picked little things. I really wanted it to be super, super slight um, because it's disturbing. I mean, when I do an accent in English, it's not disturbing because nobody knows, you know, well, um, 
I mean, it's less disturbing than doing an accent in your own language. Yes. So, yeah, I definitely do kind of a Belgium accent. How you say it in English? It's not Flemish at all. Okay. You know, because there are like two parts in, in, in Belgium, the Flemish parts and the Franco, uh, Francophone part. So it's Francophone, but uh, so it's not, it's... It's an accent in French, like you have an accent in English with like uh, uh, Scottish or um, it would be it would be as if uh, an um, a British um, a British actor would take a Scottish or an Irish accent. Right, that would be yeah. The Dardenne brothers are feted at Cannes, obviously beloved by by film lovers. What what is it that makes them kind of? so special and so unique to work with could you could you pinpoint one thing um well there's there are a lot of things actually but i one of the things that i love watching their movies because i watched all their movies and i love them all is that um it's we qualify their cinema like film d'auteur Mm -hmm. and uh, like very social movie, like Ken Loach style. I think it's really much more than just film daughter. In in their movies, there are so many genre. For example, The Sun, which is one of my favorite movies. It's, uh, you have like twists, like you have in, I would say, American movies or... Um, Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of. But what was what I think is really powerful in their cinema is that they really do it for the audience and they want them to, they take them on a journey, they surprise them. Um, it's, um, and they talk about the audience a lot on set. Really? Yeah. They, uh, it's part of the process of making a movie for them is they really do it for, for the audience. Is that different from someone like a Michael Mann or a Christopher Nolan? Does the, does the audience well, come up with Well, they're all them? different, but, uh, I mean, of course you do a movie, you tell a story to people, but, but with the Darden Brothers, the, the audience is really, really part of, of the process. It's like as if they are the audience mixed with uh, directors and they, they always take this kind of place. What are they going to feel? I Emma, see, Yeah, yeah. So the emotion of the of the viewer is always in your mind. Yeah. In, whenever you're shooting a sequence, mm -hmm. scene. A couple of slightly small points in the movie. I was just curious about your character, Sandra, takes, I think, Xanax, doesn't she, to like yes. calm herself through this extraordinary experience. What you, I'm presuming you're not taking Xanax during the shooting. No, but I read the um, the box. Oh, okay. What and I and I went on the internet to see what are the effects of Xanax because I had never taken Xanax and I will never take Xanax. No. But yeah, no, no, I don't need it. I mean, thank God. <laughs> what exactly? What do you use as a substitute tranquilizer? Is it just? Oh, it's just um, it like a movie pill. Fake. Yeah, it's oh, a okay. fake thing. Still disgusting. Is it? Be well, I took a lot of Xanax. <laughs> And, um, but that was, no, that was pretty good stuff melting right away. Good. And, um, but chalky and disgusting, I guess. Uh, yeah, but um, I mean, that's okay. It was not that disgusting. It was just like the, um, not, I mean, it has no taste. Okay. Which is 
good. Did you eat the tart that Sandra bakes? Did I... you bake the tart? Can you bake no, a tart? No, I didn't, but I can. Totally can. What's your best tart? Uh, onion. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Savory, yeah. Onion, banana. Onion I, and I banana. I don't do banana anymore. No. Eesh. Ah, eesh. Oh, wow. <laughs> that could be a British tart. <laughs> Onion. Oh, kidding. Look at this face. Okay. <laughs> I you were... We have amazing restaurants here. <laughs> <laughs> backtrack, backtrack. <laughs> um, I have to ask you about E.T. because I know that, that you watched E.T. as a seven-year-old. Yeah. And I watched it last night for the first time in a long time. And it's still emotional. I know that it, it terrified you as a kid. I wondered, you must have identified as a seven-year-old girl with the Drew Barrymore character and I wondered if you've ever met her at all and like talked to her about it. I met her. Have you, did you talk to her about it at all? No, no because I met her very briefly but I think she's an incredible woman and um, no but I, no, no, I, I, I actually I, I didn't really identify with her okay. but with uh, Elliot. Yes, right. right. Yeah, of course. That might have been a, a wild, like, speculation on my part that you would necessarily identify with the... A girl. With the girl. No, <laughs> no it's not like a sexist. Not with the girl, but just with someone of your own age, I suppose, in that situation. Yeah, um, but, yeah, no, I... Um, no. Okay. I might have, but I was, I was totally with... Totally Elliot. with Elliot, yeah. yeah. He's amazing in that film. When are you going to show it to your son? Do you know? How old is, um, is he going to be before you show him E.T.? I'm going to wait a little bit. He's only three. He watches Charlie Chaplin's movies. No way. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. you're Gold Charlie Rush Chaplin. Right. And uh, Modern Time. Modern Times? Yeah. Wow. Times, yeah. Modern Time. Now, I know you're a huge Charlie Chaplin fan as well and a co- big comedy fan. I wonder, yeah. I wonder what the movie is that makes you laugh the most. If, if there's one that you'd put on um, when you're feeling a bit rubbish and you just want to laugh. Blades of Glory and Step Brothers. Oh, so you are a huge... Adam McKay, Will Ferrell fan. Yeah, and a forty-year-old virgin too. Okay. And and actually, I saw the other woman with um, uh, Leslie Mann, uh, Cameron Diaz, and Kate Hepton, and I laughed so much. <laughs> and those two guys—I mean, this this guy from Game of Thrones. He has major moments in this movie. He's so good. Yeah, yeah I, I love this movie. Anchorman 2, you, you're in the battle yeah. sequence. And I believe that you'll, you die via a sex panther grenade, I think. I'm assuming yeah. that was added in, in, in like post-production yeah. rather than actually on set on the day. I think we had a, a bit of smoke there. Was, oh, there was? Yeah. But there I was think, no... I, I don't really remember. I was... I was super stressed out because it's not my comfort zone, even if this is, I, I love watching comedies and I would love doing comedies, but um, no, that was, um, but I had fun. I mean, this bunch of people, I, I'm a big fan of them, so. Because you're on. But I haven't seen the movie. Have you not? No, not Gotta yet. Gotta get you a copy. You should, wow, you should. Yeah, you really have to. Yeah, I know. You told me you watched every film at least once. No, I want to watch it. I'm going to watch it like now in August. (laughs) Now in my vacation time. Good. Well, I hope you. I hope you enjoy it. We're obviously in Jim Carrey's team on that one. So, like, you're yeah. In safe hands, oh I guess. my god, it's so cool. Um, there's a, the IMDb, which I don't know if you ever look at your IMDb page, but some strange stuff. Some of it's true. Some of it seems to be like mythological, and I don't know where it comes from. But it says that you're a big fan of Leeds United and that Eric Cantona got you into Leeds United. That sounds like 
that sounds like nonsense. Is that nonsense? This is total nonsense. Okay, that's nonsense. I like, thought so. I follow football when it's like, and I, I didn't even really follow the last World Cup. So, no, I... Okay, so that's I don't rubbish. Know where that comes All from. right, it says that you're a fan of Absolutely Fabulous. Oh, that is totally true. Are you a, are you a Patsy or an Eddie fan? I'm right in the middle, and I embrace them both. <laughs> that's a very good political answer. I wanted to ask you about, you worked with, on the David Bowie, there's an amazing video for, oh, yeah. for the next day, the David Bowie, the second single, I think, on his, on his album. Mm-hmm. You have obviously worked with Christopher Nolan a couple of times. Top secret, you can't give away the twists uh, or the plot of Inception, obviously, at any point. David Bowie's album sort of came from nowhere, like it literally just arrived and no one knew about it. Did you know about it before, before, before it was released? Did you record the video before? No, oh, no, okay. no, no, no. It was after the release of, and they, I, I, I got this email from my agents, and the title was my name and his name, and I was like, "Ooh, what is that?" And then it was on a Thursday. I read the email asking me to be part of the video, and before I, I uh, called back my agent, I booked a flight to LA because it was like the next Monday. And, and then I called my agent and they were like, well, we're going to say no. I mean, you cannot go to LA. I was like, are you kidding me? David Bowie, I've always booked my flight. <laughs> and that was amazing. And Flora, the, the, the director, I mean, the, yeah, that was an amazing experience. He's, he's one of my heroes. I'd love to see a feature length version of that music video. I like a movie version of that video with you and Gary Oldman. Whoa. Oh, like, yeah. Pff, I mean, Gary I don't know. Oldman. Be known yeah. through hard R kind of madness. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> I like your character. Um, and next up, you have Macbeth, obviously. Is there anything beyond Macbeth that you can tell us about that's, that's Not kind really. of... You're going to take a break? You're going to have a holiday? Um, yeah. Yeah. I've worked a lot. And uh, I did like six movies in three years. And like heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to live my life and find the inspiration to uh, want to go back on set. Like I'm, I'm almost on holiday. That's all right. That's okay. Thank okay, you very much. Thank you. It's very nice to talk to you. Okay, before we uh, get into the week's movie reviews, here's Ali with the weather. Hello and welcome to the science bit of the Empire podcast where Ali the editor, that's me by the way, tells you just a little bit more about our sponsor Squarespace and how to make use of their free trial and discount deal. Thank you for listening. Always appreciated. Anyway, if you're not already in the know or missed Chris saying it earlier, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio or online store for a free trial. That means no money. And 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE. You want more details, though, and that is understandable. So just for you, here are a few more reasons why you should use Squarespace. For starters, Squarespace is very easy to use indeed, as well as being user-friendly and doing all the tricky stuff for you. Search engine optimization, hosting, and making your site mobile, tablet, portable device ready. Just for starters, they've also got a huge vault of pre-prepared designs and style options to be getting on with that you can tweak to your taste later on. Sign up for a year and get a free domain name. Yes! Enjoy an on-hand support team working 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for you. And this is all for $8 a month, which, as I mentioned earlier, a free trial and 10% off your first purchase with the Empire Podcast's very own offer code, which is, sing it with me. Don't sing it, please. I'm not going to sing it. Empire by a Squarespace dot 
com again thank you for listening you are awesome people i appreciate every one of you in an individual and unqualifiably wonderful way goodbye for now okay movie reviews now we're not going to start with two days one night uh that will come later so we're going to start with luke besson's lucy he was the opening guest and uh this is from all reports utterly bonkers isn't it I think that's probably fair. Yes, so it, it stars uh, Scarlett Johansson, as you will have seen on the poster. She's the only really face that they've kind of sold this on. She plays a drug mule called Lucy, um, who is beaten up by Taiwanese gangsters. And that, that causes the bag of blue crystals in her stomach to burst and those drugs to flood her system. Um, this is even worse than it would be if they were normal drugs, because they turn out to be a, a sort of experimental compound that basically causes her brain capacity to surge um, so the theory being that we only use 10% of our brain which I think is nonsense actually but anyway th- that's that's the figure that the the film starts with and then it goes on she starts upping that percentage up to 100% and gaining very very weird powers as a result and so the film becomes a sort of a, a history of her exponential rise in abilities um, which is of course very bad news for the people who are now after her um, as a result of this unfortunate series of events so for the first kind of half maybe of the movie maybe a little bit more um, it actually works pretty well you've, you've got this kind of crazy superhero but with a kind of harder edge kind of a vibe going on um, and she's you know fighting people who she comes up against she's developing new powers all the time this kind of you know CG fireworks going off in her head essentially and then they try to kind of bring it all together at the end and it, it sort of doesn't quite work the film is messy in good ways and bad i think it's a marmite movie i think some people are really going to get something out of it because it is not your conventional action thriller all of the action you see at the in the trailers and in the, in the tv spots are what you'll see in the film there is not much else beside that yeah it's much more thinky and and weighted and wondery and ponderous than you mm. may be expecting that isn't the reason why i didn't like it that's not why i'm about to say that you shouldn't go and see it because I'm not going to say don't go and see it but I personally did not take to it there were people in the room I was watching it with who were enjoying it right I'm going to make that clear but for me I thought that though I am so on board for high concept action thrillers Mm. I really am crank obviously I keep bringing up but if someone sets up a high not a high balloon someone sets up a high concept arguably very very silly idea for an action thriller you set it up and you move on this movie is an hour and a half plus of setup, which then concludes with the setup being set up. The other problem it has is that in having these powers, telepathy, mind control, levitation, like instant death, she can control electricity, she can make things turn on and off. You think of it, she can do it. She gets, for example, when she hits 20%, if we're normally at 10, when she hits 20%, she can not feel pain. She can decide to not feel pain. She can get a bullet in the shoulder and it not matter she can do all sorts of stuff and this means that when she does come up against opposition mm-hmm. there's never any tension yeah but then they're, they're, they do manage to keep the sort of the thing of what happens when she gets you know as it keeps going on how, how does it affect her can she survive this kind of thing going so there's a little bit of that in the background I think you're right the, the film sort of has 
it's it's intelligence kind of exponentially it's, it's kind of an inverse correlation between the intelligence of the film and the intelligence of lucy to an extent as she goes up the film kind of goes down i would say so i thought the first 20 minutes is a really thrilling when she becomes part of these time when these gangsters well it's really good there's a there's an interrogation but through a translator over a phone and it's really nice and tense old school luc besson but personally we as a magazine were a lot more yeah. positive and I, I think I'm a bit more positive. I mean, I, I can see that it went stupid at the end yeah. but I still had quite a lot of fun. And I think a lot of that is down to Scarlett Johansson who I think is Big great time. in this she's role. She's very I think good. It, you know, it's, it's not just, oh, she's doing Black Widow again kind of thing. It's a very different character and it's a character who develops in really, really interesting and weird ways in, in, in a way and she, she kind of is the one who delivers on that spectacularly mm. well. So even while the film around her doesn't always work, she's always worth watching. So we give that three stars which is a recommendation. What a year for Scarlett Johansson Under the Skin Captain America The Winter Soldier Lucy and She Met Me a few months ago that a memory girl. she must be cherishing even now even now 212 Ride the Beast three stars in for Lucy and uh, next up you know what let's go full Darden I feel, I feel sad that Phil's not here I can feel him scraping at the window. This is a two days, one night, in which Marion Cotillard is laid off but is given a chance at a reprieve by her bosses if she can persuade her fellow workers to vote her back in over the course of two days, one night, then she will get her job back. And so she sets off trying to persuade him. And a lot of home truths and uncomfortable uh, personality traits are revealed in in the interim. So, thoughts on this one from the Dardans. Uh, yes, yeah, so it is, um, you know, they're known for, if you know anything about their films today, they're known for the sort of social realism that makes, you know, Mike Lee look like he's kind of, you know, Baz Luhrmann or something. But this is a really sort of small scale story, incredibly focused on Marion Cotillard's character, um, who is just brilliantly, brilliantly portrayed. So it's it's not just as simple as having to get her colleagues to kind of just take her back in some way. It's basically a choice between their bonuses or and she's she gets made redundancy or she keeps her job and none of them get bonuses and of course you know they're not wealthy people they need these bonuses in a lot of cases and she has to persuade at least half of the 16 workers to to you know go for her instead of their own bonus so she's kind of going from showdown to showdown with her own colleagues complicating matters again is the fact that she's just come back from sickness leave she's been off with depression she's still in a very fragile state so you know each of these is very traumatic for each of these meetings is incredibly traumatic each mm. of them risks kind of making her sick again I mean she's she's incredible in this Marion Cotillard has never been better and she's always been good but she's you know swallowing Xanax one minute she's you know getting really angry and up in their faces the next is kind of her Rust and Bone character and her Edith Edith Piaf character kind of almost mashed together at times her supportive husband who's played by Fabrizio Rongioni I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly he's very very good as well um, it's, an, it's not a showy part but he's he's really good as a sort of a, a an almost a deputy to her I guess mm. kind of backing her up I mean it's it's a some people have said it's a kind of a contrived scenario that this very stark choice between self-interest and selflessness um, on the part of all her colleagues um, but I think it's about a little bit it, it it works really well if it is contrived it works really well to to kind of put into focus issues about money and solidarity and how much loyalty do you owe to a co-worker who you know may not have been very nice to you through the mm. years and how much do you owe to yourself um moral responsibility as well i guess indeed yeah it's but but just brilliantly brilliantly done and and just such an incredibly good performance um it it doesn't feel complicated when you watch it um it just feels like a a very very kind of powerful film 
you know, it's been compared to the bicycle thieves, which I think is probably a fair comparison. But there's 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 almost elements of a western about it as well. That sort of kind of showdown element uh, between her and her colleagues. So just just incredible stuff. Fantastic. Of course, uh, Jean Pierre and Luc Dardan are the Dardan brothers. Uh, and if you haven't seen their films, they're, they're famous, of course, for films like The Kid with the Bike, which was her most recent one, mm. uh, The Silence of Lorna, L'Enfant, and of course their early Mac Bolan adaptation, Volatile Agent. <laughs> Number three hundred and five. So anyway, volatile agent. Five stars, Chris. Five Not for stars. Five <laughs> volatile agent was amazing. Five stars for two days, one night. Fantastic. Do go and check it out if you dare. Next up, we have Into the Storm, in which Thorin Oakenshield fights wind. Is that, is that, <laughs> that makes it sound is that like true? It sounds like all he needs are some rennies and he'll, he'll be fine. It is true. It is, of course, Richard Armitage starring as a small town uh, school vice principal. It's graduation day. Um, he has two. He's a widower with two sons who he's trying to, uh, you know, nurture and so on, despite his own grief. But it, things are complicated when a series, uh, not one but many tornadoes, <sighs> hit the town. Wouldn't you just know it? Um, I think the film makes a big, big mistake. It's kind of going, trying to go do a find footage kind of a thing. Mm. So you've got one one brother who is um, presenting a sort of a video uh, diary of the of the day. He's he's trying to film everything. He's also trying to do a sort of time capsule. So that's why he has his camera on all the time. Um, and there are various reasons why various people around the school are using cameras. But then they also have storm chasers who come in from out of town. And that does give it an awfully twister-esque kind of feeling. I mean, it would have one at the best times, but that gives it even more of a twisteriness, um, which I think maybe that they should have tried to shy away from. So the, the fun footage angle is is OK. At times you're like, OK, there's no reason why anyone would be filming this. That doesn't make any sense. You, you haven't explained who's filming this. But generally speaking, it's it's at least an attempt to do something interesting. Uh, the action is a little bit lower budget, I think it's fair to say, than Twister. No flying mm-hmm. cows. No flying cows, but there is a fire-nado. A fire-nado. Which is a real thing that actually mm. can happen. Unlike a shark-nado, which is not a real thing. Yes. But a fire-nado is. Yes. A tornado <laughs> made of fire. Just when you thought it couldn't get any scarier. I know. Um, that, which, weirdly enough, is not a Mac Bolin. Fire NATO. Mac Bolin. Fire NATO. <laughs> Three for four, primal law. So anyway, I, I have to confess, I did enjoy this, but it is, by any definition, a bit bobbins. <laughs> okay. So I gave it two in the end. I, to be honest, it was one of those ones, as I was writing it, it could have gone three, but it ended up two. My favourite thing about Into the Storm being released this week is that if you were so inclined, you could go to see Into the Storm. Right? Right. At a cinema of your choice in London, an afternoon showing, okay? And then you could you could see uh, Richard Armitage fighting storms, and then you could walk to the Old Vic Theatre and watch him in The Crucible. Yeah. So there's a cracking Richard Armitage double bill going on right now, uh, which you could you could make. I'm going to see The Crucible next week, actually. I was in The Crucible at the university. Not the Richard Armitage role. Who one did you the, play? One of the minor uh, Reverend Hale. <gasps> Your books were weighted with authority. They, they were, thank you. I couldn't remember that. Uh, right, uh, what did we give Into the Storm? We gave it two. But two I could stars. Three, it, sounds like, it sounds like it could be one of those daft, so bad it's yeah. threes. Next up, we have the rom-com, the Daniel Radcliffe rom-com, What If, in which the artist formerly known as Harry Potter stars Zoe Kazan as uh, two people who are drawn to each other, even though they know that they should not be because one of them's in a relationship. So, what if we reviewed it? Shall we? Yes. Okay. What if? No exclamation mark, no question mark, no ellipsis, no colon. Just formerly what known, if? Formerly known as the F word. Uh, the F word in this case being 
Friend. 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 Uh, yeah, so Danny Radcliffe is a very lovely, approachable, friendly, totally believable guy who could play a guy who meets a wonderful, charming, slightly not too manic, but a bit manic, pixie dream girl, the form of Zoe Kazan. She did something very similar with... It's, Ruby Sparks. Yeah, she's done a bit of that before. So they meet, they get on very, very well, and then right at the end of the meeting... The party, the meet, the cutie of the meeting, the cutie meet, the yeah. meeting of the cute, sweet uh, meet. She goes, oh, uh, and then she does the boyfriend drop. Oh, my boyfriend will love that because we've I have all a boyfriend. been there. Boyfriend, 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 there. boyfriend. Obviously, she's like well up for it. No, I don't mean that, but she's obviously attracted to this guy, and yeah. he's attracted to her. So what they do instead is become bezies. Is that the word? Bezie mates. Bezie yeah. mates. Hyphen. So they become bezie mates, and it's the story of how. <laughs> guess what? Maybe they might possibly break the boundaries of what would be acceptable socially between somebody, a lady who has a boyfriend, and a man who doesn't, who fancies <gasps> the lady. What if? Uh, so Danny Radcliffe is pretty darn persuasive and surprisingly funny. I don't want to sound patronising here. As Wallace, his character, he's totally unselfconscious and does stuff that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, Zoe Kazan is a bit of an acquired taste, I think. She's a little drippy, I'd say. But Adam oh, Driver, who plays harsh, the best... Fair. In this film, not in, not generally. I'm, 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 I mean in the film as well. I mean in the film as well. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. That's my opinion. Uh, well, well, you can it, shove that up your nose. Is it true? Uh, Adam Driver plays the best mate uh, character to Daniel Radcliffe, and he is on a really great run. Um, tracks and a variety of others. Obviously, he's going to be in, I was about to say Harry Potter. He's going to be in Star Wars Episode Seven very, very soon, or rather quite soon. And he's doing really well, and he's great in this. He's he's a wise guy, best mate, and he's very good at it. Anyway, it's an old-school Nora Ephron-style comedy. It's not up there with Nora's finest. It's not Harry Met Sally, but it's it's Harry Potter meets Zoe, and it's kind of fun. I thought this movie was very charming, to be honest. I think they're both very, very good. He uh, is set in Canada, set in Toronto. He plays a British expat medical student, and he's basically playing it with his own, his own speech patterns, his own rhythms, his own accent, which he revealed uh, last week when I spoke to him uh, was a very, very last-minute thing foisted upon him by the producers because they thought that they would be able to sell the movie more readily if he had uh, if he spoke with his own accent rather than with an American accent. Huh. He's quite be, a good American accent. Well, a North American accent, obviously. Sure. He'd, he'd been working on it. He'd be, he'd, he came to set ready, ready to go. Let me go, guys! And then they went, no, British, please. So, uh, yeah, but it, it's it's fun. It's charming, directed by Michael Dowes, who directed Goon, which a lot of people love. I wasn't that keen on but it's one of those films I feel the need to revisit because yeah, so many people love it it's very sweet like Goon is I mean missing? apart from the I don't like Jay Baruchel's character in that very much but I really Sean William Scott is just such a sweetheart in it mm. even when he's beating people to a pulp that mm. I just find it quite charming yeah I do remember you liking it more than I did yeah. but yeah no, it, it's it's fine it's it's kind of a comment on rom-coms it kind of has its cake and eat it there's a meet cute and an airport run of sorts that sort of stuff uh, but it's fun it's bright and breezy the characters are warm and relatable Adam Driver uh, is one of those best friends in the movie who's just on the precipice of being really annoying but he just manages to rein it in a bit he's a very likeable uh, screen presence so, he, he, so that kind of works um, we gave it three stars yeah, that's, that's probably fair I could maybe go to four myself but hey check it out what if you check it out this weekend <laughs> let me know what you think okay. fire the hashtag Empire Podcast because uh, we haven't done the contact details yet have we uh, because Mark screwed everything up 
He's gone now, so we can say what we would like about him. Uh, if you want to get in touch uh, with us on the Empire Podcast, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Facebook us, Empire Magazine, and you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. On that topic, a couple of people have said some really good suggestions for things that don't have uh, movies, great movies that don't have weapons in them. Yes, I saw a bunch Somebody of suggested, this is Mike Tank, who suggested my dinner with Andre, unless you count butter knives, <laughs> uh, which yeah. I thought was a very good shout. Uh, somebody else pointed out Gross Point Blank, obviously, for the best uh, petrol station scene. And Love Actually yes, and I, Royal Tenenbaums as movies that don't have weapons, but Royal Tenenbaums does have a weapon if you include the the blades. Is so it actually I, a petrol station that grows quite black? I thought it was just a convenience store. It's kind of a convenience store, so I don't I don't think that's quite right. Obviously, loads of compliments on how great we are here, how brilliant we are, how awesome we are. Favourite gas station sequence, got to be from Dust Till Dawn. That's from Nicholas Ray. And... Yeah, again, oh, yeah, it is, but I don't... Yeah. The big, I think one that I realised afterwards that we should have slipped in with the, the best petrol station scenes is the opening to Zombieland or one of the openings to Zombieland where he's giving you the rules and that's just really good fun I watched it again recently and it really does stand up um, so yeah thanks you th- thanks you thank you so much for contributing there is loads more here if you want to check out what people are saying obviously you can jump onto the hashtag yourself alrighty have a look-see have a look-see uh, also out this week we should mention is God Help the Girl which is the musical from Stuart Murdoch the brains behind Bell and Sebastian that fantastic Scottish group and we gave out three stars it's a it's a Fun, breezy, uh, modern musical as well, starring Emily Browning. So, three stars is a recommendation. So, check it out if you fancy it. And uh, Sin City 2, A Dame to Kill For, it's a bit of a strange one. It only opens really in London this weekend. Then it has previews across the country on Monday and doesn't officially open until next Friday, the 29th. So, we're not going to tackle it until next week's podcast. But just in case you're knocking around London or you're going to see it on Monday, we did give it three stars. So it seems like more of the same, only less so. Three stars, which is a recommendation. Okay, that's it for this week's Embron Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by the suavest man in Hollywood, Mr. John Hamm. Are you doing that one, Helen? I am, yes. Gosh. Interesting. And I promise you, by hook or by crook, Richard Iowadi, who was meant to be on this week's podcast, uh, will be here too. Because the interview's done. There's <laughs> no excuse for putting it back. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace. Once again, if you want to take advantage of that fantastic offer, that opening offer, open up your new account on squarespace.com. Go there, enter the code EMPIRE. EMPIRE is the code. Until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Adieu. It's goodbye from Ali. So long, farewell, bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to read number 377, Desperate Cargo. This cargo is desperate! Ah! Well, it's either that or number 366, Pele's Fire. So. I'd go for Fire Zone 371. What about Defence Bridge? Oh, no, that's stupid. That's a bad one. Okay. Well, I'm going to read those all anyway. Uh, see you next week. Bye.